Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do Death. Hi, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? Uh, not too well this week. <laughs> <laughs> have you caught what I had last week? <laughs> I think I might have caught what you had last week. We get together for one time. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I, and I have a lasting souvenir of that meeting. <laughs> well, lasting this week. So hopefully it will clear up soon. So apologies uh, for my uh, gruff voice or... <laughs> snuffly demeanor no that's okay i mean it's what's happening this time of year isn't it and after a year of to be honest i can't remember the last time i had a cold because it's so long ago last year everyone was really fit and healthy because nobody went anywhere that's true yeah (laughs) or met anybody everyone's ill yeah uh, but now everything's circulating isn't it so it is yeah so but other than that i'm i'm finding myself and I hope Good. you're better too Good. after last week. I'm I'm feeling a lot better, thank you. Not 100, percent but feeling a lot better. So there's hope in your future that you'll oh, be okay. Thank you. You'll make it through this. <laughs> I'll make it through this. Yeah. So any uh, any news in the world of true crime this week? Um, I think the big news this week, which came out on Tuesday, the 12th of October, was that Gabby Petito's autopsy results were released. Oh, yeah. Um, so they confirmed that her manner of death was strangulation. Strangulation, um, right. And that it was is definitely homicide. So, I mean, I'd, <laughs> when they announced they were going to do it, I said, I reckon it's strangulation. And it was. So, yeah, I think strangulation points to an, an intimate sort of um, encounter, act, doesn't yeah. it? And strangulations are quite commonly seen in domestic violence murders so again you know not not saying that he did it but the evidence uh, is pointing more and more that way isn't it <laughs> well the circumstances are yeah and the fact he's gone to ground or disappeared whatever he's done is um is suspicious but yeah hey, but innocent until proven no, guilty mm-hmm, still no real news on anything about him or where, where he, he is. is i saw that they were sending like cadaver dogs into the nature reserve again today okay but that doesn't mean there's a dead body there because they if they found a dead body they wouldn't need a dog to find it would they so after it had been found so mm. <laughs> who knows they've released a load of other stuff in the chad daybell trial a lot of kind of video footage that hasn't been seen before of okay. like interviews stuff around the day that charles Vallow was killed and bits of information so i think that's gonna be really interesting when that comes to trial in Three weeks' time. Oh, wow. I'm going to block out my November and December to uh, will it be <laughs> watch on, that uh, on Court TV. Court TV, yes. yes. Oh, it will. <laughs> the other thing, um, I, I suppose, is it's news in the last day or so, is that bow and arrow shootings in Norway. That's uh, yeah, unusual. Really sad and unusual, yes. You don't hear of many things like that in the Nordics, do you? Well, so... apart from the fact, was it? I, I didn't realise it was as long ago as that, but 2011, Anders Breivik. <laughs> Breivik, yeah. Killed 10 years ago. Odd, but he killed 70-odd yeah, did, yeah. Uh, kids, weren't they, on that adventure island? On that thing. island, yeah, pretending to be a policeman. Nevertheless, very strange, and I think uh, the police over there are already putting together their theories. Yes. But, uh, five, five dead, I believe. Mm. This week, Phoebe... Continuing our October spooky theme of mm-hmm. the grizzly and macabre, uh, I was going to tell you about resurrectionists in the UK and then Ooh. go on to talk about Birkenhair. 
well, yeah, the, the famous pair from Edinburgh, <laughs> which is where they committed all of their crimes. But we'll come on to them shortly. But I thought I'd start with the whole thing around what are referred to as resurrectionists. Okay. So humans have been dissected by other humans since at least the third century before Christ or before Common Era, which is quite a long time. I think there's always been a an intrigue as to how the human body works, as well as animal bodies as well. But um, the human body, I suppose, is more pertinent because... Yeah. Uh, physicians and doctors humans. and yeah, even back even all those hundred what thousands of years ago we're looking to find out how the human body works and i mean yeah going straight to the point just as well that they do because that's what shaped modern medicine today absolutely uh, in, in terms I of guess, how things work i guess the egyptians used to kind of dissect people to an extent didn't they or at least kind of take bits of body out of uh, yeah you're right when yeah. they were mummifying them yeah they did actually i don't yeah. know if that was for research purposes or just uh, i think it's just religious more religious reasons, isn't it? yeah, yeah. They used to take all the squishy bits out didn't they like the heart and intestines yeah. and all the organs really and put them in copic jars i want to say yeah i think so yeah yeah uh, which are often buried with the body, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. then the body itself so is can mummified. find it in the afterlife. Surely it'd be more useful to have those organs in you rather than <laughs> <laughs> next to you <laughs> as you enter the afterlife. Maybe, but, maybe uh, there was an element of uh, investigation and education in that. Who knows? The problem was, back in those days, various religious groups had strong views and rules around the cutting up and the desecration of human bodies once they, they'd died. So... Any dissections that were done tended to be done in secret. It was very much a sort of a underground activity okay. where the physicians were trying to learn their craft. And so it was really in Europe until around the 1300s when the first recorded anatomization of a human body took place in Bologna. Now, this touches on your story last week mm-hmm, to a certain extent because yeah. that's... Uh, that was about uh, anatomization, and uh, Bologna came up then. In didn't Bologna, it? yeah, yeah, it must have been an Italian thing. Yeah, yes, it might have been. And if you think of Leonardo da Vinci, da Vinci—that's what I was just thinking. Um, I've read somewhere in my research that he probably dissected around about fifteen bodies in his time. Oh wow! Okay, because his, some of his drawings, some of his anatomical drawings from his time, are really quite stunning. And accurate, yeah. so he didn't make those up, did he? He must have absolutely not. No, <laughs> he must have had something to uh, base his drawings on. Yeah, and Leonardo da Vinci would have been 15th century, so uh, yeah, all around about that time, medieval time, I suppose. Uh, interest yeah. was uh, starting to grow, and people started to take it more seriously as a science. Now, in Britain, dissection of a human was illegal until 1506, when James the Fourth of Scotland allowed barber surgeons, because barbers and surgeons were often the same people. Yeah, absolutely. Those times <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> he allowed barber surgeons the right to dissect the bodies of certain executed criminals. In England, Henry the Eighth allowed barber surgeons the right to dissect four executed criminals each year. But Charles II increased that to six per year. There you go. Now, they didn't have an awful lot to go on, just six bodies a year for yeah, all the physicians lot, in, in, and all the people that wanted to become knowledgeable in this. But uh, that's what they were allowed to do. So as, as hospitals and medical schools evolved and, and medical 
science developed, there became a shortage of, of bodies. Those six a year just weren't enough. Now, in 1694, Edinburgh gave the right for the dissection of bodies found in the street, who, in quotes, have nobody to claim them. Okay. Uh, and this also applied to, well, young people, children, who died in orphanages as well. Right, okay. Okay, so if, if anybody had no loved ones to look after them, or if a vagrant was found in the street or whatever, yep, off you go to the uh, surgeon's room for dissection. Now, at this time in the UK, most other executed prisoners were left hanging on the gallows. I think we've all seen those pictures of like pirates and things being left to hang as a deterrent to other would-be felons. And and that was the way of, of things at the time. And they'd be hung up and left on display, basically, until they just... Fell off. <laughs> uh, yeah, decomposed, disintegrated, the birds pecked away at them, the bones just fell apart. Yeah, wow. that, that's that's really what would happen. Quite a long time. Yeah, it could be. Well, I don't know, if you leave a body outside. Yeah, that's true. It's, I guess uh, if it was the winter, though, and if it was cold and stuff, it would probably... Uh... Oh, it might survive a bit longer, yeah. <laughs> now, so this was a way of deterrence to others, um, particularly to would-be murderers. And in an attempt to slow down the increase in murders, in 1752, the Murder Act was passed okay which said that all executed prisoners could be given either to physicians for dissection or hung in chains okay dissection was thought to be more of a horror than being hanged itself or or being killed um because it it was such an abhorrent thing so i was going to read to you a little bit extract from the murder act of 1752 and it actually says The Act included the provision, in quotes, for better preventing the horrid crime of murder, that some further terror and peculiar mark of infamy be added to the punishment. In other words, if you're going to murder someone, not only going to be hanged, you will also be given over to science and dissected. Okay. Uh, And that in no case whatsoever shall the body of any murderer be suffered to be buried in other words, if you commit a murder, you're not going to get a burial. Your body is either going to be put out on display until it rots like it always did before, or someone claims you to be uh, dissected. Did, did it work as a deterrent? Possibly not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the Murder Act did give permission for more bodies to be used for dissection, basically. That's that's really what it okay. was saying, or one of the things it was saying, that... Uh, Yes, it's a deterrent, but also it was a good thing for the physicians because they'd have a better, more regular supply of bodies. But then less than 100 years later, in 1823, came the Judgment of Death Act. And this was applied in England, Wales and Ireland, but not in Scotland for some reason. And at the time, there were over 200 offences which carried a mandatory death sentence. Oh, wow, okay. The uh, Judgment of Death Act gave judges the ability to apply a lesser sentence for first-time offenders. Uh, And therefore, the execution rate dropped, which then led to less bodies for dissection. So I presume that by the Murder Act, it wasn't just murderers that were given over to science to be dissected and uh, or hang in chains, but any 
any one of those 200 offences that resulted in the death penalty. <laughs> I wonder what, I can't even think of 200 offences. Oh, no, I mean, they used to hang people for stealing a loaf of bread and all that sort of thing, didn't they? That's true. So. Yeah, I guess it was like the intricacies of stealing a sheep or stealing yeah, that a sort of thing. Yeah. cow. <laughs> so therefore the execution rate dropped, which led to less bodies for dissection, but the death penalty still applied for first-time offenders, for murder and treason. So the medical schools of the time needed bodies, and so they increased the amount that they were willing to pay for them, which gave rise to grave robbing, particularly for fresh bodies, uh, those that hadn't uh, started decomposing too much, and and the demand for those increased dramatically. And I think, we again, we touched on that last week, didn't we, about fresh bodies being available for some of those... uh, experiments yeah. that were being carried out and having them as fresh as possible as fresh as possible yeah because once they've started to decompose yeah not so, so nice. yeah. everything starts to kind of collapse in itself doesn't it yeah you, it does you can't have as much of a uh good idea and and i'm always blown away by how quickly that happens yeah like within well immediately hours. you start well, decomposing, yeah, yeah. Don't you? yeah yeah and within hours things start to kind of not resemble what they should so yeah yeah, yeah. so that's why the fresher the better <laughs> yeah so resurrectionists formed a network of informants grave diggers undertakers local officials who would know when someone had just been buried mm-hmm. they would all then be in for a cut of the proceeds from for, mm, from whatever okay. they got for the bodies usually at night they would use a wooden spade because it would be quieter to dig the what was really very newly dug earth. If the, the earth above a coffin that's just been filled in would be quite easy yeah. to dig back up again. Down just one end of the coffin. So they'd dig down sort of in line with one end of the coffin. I don't know if that'd be the head end or the, the foot end. Everything was done very quietly and discreetly. The soil was usually that they dug out was usually put onto canvas sheets so that okay. it could be quickly poured back into the hole once uh, they'd done their job. So everything had to be quick. Everything had to be very discreet and, and tidy, really. So once they'd be exposed the end of a coffin, which wouldn't be very much, maybe two feet or so worth of coffin they would put a sound deadening sack or some other sound deadening device over the exposed end of the coffin and then that end of the coffin lid would be forced up and then the the weight of the soil on the rest of it would basically cause the coffin lid to snap right okay I don't know whether they put ropes or chains around it or whether a couple of guys down there or whatever but they would just heave at this coffin lid until it just snapped off the end, exposing the body at one end. They'd pull the body out and then just fill everything back in, pour that soil back in, make it look uh, as neat as possible. The body would be stripped of any clothing that it might have had on it, and that might have been thrown back in the hole, actually. Tied up, sort of trussed up, so it wouldn't be all flopping all over the place. Put in a sack, possibly in some sort of other box or whatever as well, and wheeled away, and then taken to the nearest hospital or medical school where it was handed over and they reckon the whole process could be done in about 30 minutes that's not long is it no they were obviously very well practiced at it and the soil would be easier to dig if it only literally that day perhaps been uh, Mm, uh, put back in do we know if there's a reason why graves are usually six feet deep 
just having done a very quick bit of research, there doesn't seem to be any particular scientific or legal reason why we refer to people being buried six feet under. Some theories talk about the that being the deepest that an average person could dig down and still get the spoils out onto the ground above. Some say it's the depth of the height of the person that's being buried, which is sort of arbitrary, really, isn't it? But I think you yeah. found out something there about so it doesn't have to be six feet. Is that right? So, yeah, doing a bit of quick in-show research, it says here that there are regulations about where a Dave can be dug, i.e. it can't be too close to water, but there's no legal requirement for how deep it should be. There's a recommendation for a minimum of one metre of settled soil above the grave to prevent disturbance. But, yeah, no, it doesn't have to be Okay. a certain depth. Yeah. It can be whatever you fancy, really. So uh, if it was a shallower grave, then the uh, the resurrectionists, the body snatchers, would yeah. have had an easy night of it. They might have done it in less yeah. than 30 minutes. There you go. <laughs> Anyway, this became such a problem that different security measures were put in place. Some cemeteries built watchtowers, which would be manned. Family would stand guard over the freshly dug grave of a loved one until time had passed so that the body would be too far decomposed for it to be of any value to any mm. hospital or medical school. I guess yeah, people yeah, got a lot quicker, didn't yeah. they, yeah. Um, than they do now. It can take weeks for a funeral now, can't oh, it? Oh, yeah, but... yeah. But these days, everybody's embalmed, I think. Yeah, and refrigerated, aren't they, which they wouldn't have done then. So burials would have happened pretty quickly. As you were saying earlier, decomposition. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Because decomposition would have started really quickly. Sometimes a heavy stone slab was placed over the grave so that it was impossible to do it without some really serious heavy lifting Mm -hmm. gear. And it also came about, Devices called mort safes. Okay. And these are sort of like metal cages that were put around the top of the grave. And there are still some in some graveyards today, apparently. And I'll put some pictures of this on our on our social pages. Most of them are just sort of well decorative or for historical interest now. But uh, yeah, these metal cages basically were put around over the top of a grave to stop the contents being robbed. Mm-hmm. But mass graves were easier to take bodies from because usually they'd dig an enormous pit and put bodies of paupers or people that died in workhouses yeah. or whatever like that into the mass graves and then just sort of cover them over bit by bit. Mm-hmm. So they were basically open graves until it was completely full and then they'd fill it in. So they were considerably easier to get bodies out of. But there are other methods of getting hold of bodies. Occasionally, there would be someone, usually a woman, that would turn up at a workhouse pretending to be a relation or close friend or something of someone that had died in a workhouse and say, oh, let me take the body and let me give it a burial. And the workhouse was quite pleased about that because they wouldn't have to then uh, worry about the arrangements on the expense of of burying someone that's died. And the uh, person who came to collect it would sell it. Yeah, wow. With some money. So it was quite a trade for for a period yeah. around the seventeen eighteen hundreds. There was there was quite a trade in uh, in dead bodies. That's I mean, so how many crazy. dead bodies do they need? I mean, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, there was no law against body snatching, as the right. body belonged to no one. 
That was how okay. it appeared in the law. So it wasn't actually stealing and it wasn't illegal to do this. It was just very unethical. And yeah. it did lead to an awful lot of protests and um, people sort of would sometimes form mobs at graveyards to fight off any would-be grave digging gangs and things. And there'd be quite some fights and things that would break out, bowl accounts yeah. around this. But uh, it wasn't illegal. Now, the Anatomy Act of 1832 brought in more change, which allowed a person's body to be donated to anatomical science. So this often meant that a workhouse owner, for example, someone that has died in a poor house, the the manager or the owner of the workhouse could simply donate that person's body uh, unless you had previously registered an objection to that. And because right. a lot of these sort of poor people were most often illiterate and wouldn't understand it anyway, workhouse owners used to get away with it quite a lot. But I don't think there was much in the way of money at this point because it, it started to become a, a regular thing. Someone dies, you can donate your body. So that was in 1832. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to that date or those dates around there shortly. Even so, there was a little bit of grave robbing still going on. Right. <laughs> but in 1838, a poor law commission report explained how two resurrectionists had died after contracting an illness from a putrid corpse. Oh, no. I'm sure that must have happened quite a lot. But um... Didn't that happen in um, Haworth in West Yorkshire in that loads of people died because... Wasn't there like the graveyard the water, at the top of the yeah. hill and the water yeah. was like coming through the graveyard through all the yeah. bodies and like yeah. poisoning all the people at the bottom of the hill, essentially? Yeah, it's still there now, isn't it? The graveyard is yeah. higher than the, the, the town or something and the water yeah. course would run through. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, don't go digging up putrid corpses, otherwise. No, it's not so good for you. Nah. Now, by 1844, the trade had virtually died out because um, bodies were now being donated to science sort of legally, oh. legitimately, uh, and there was no longer really any money in it as a result of that. However, it still happens today. Oh, my goodness. Probably not for medical reasons. <laughs> and I can't find any uh, information about what goes on in the UK, but in the USA, so far this century, so like in the last 20 years, over 1,600 reports have been made by families of bodies what? or parts of bodies being stolen of their loved ones. Oh my and, god! I mean, I'm just thinking about your Russian doll bloke. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, did, yeah. I was, I was he, thinking about him. He dug up uh, bodies of bodies. Well, yeah. So um, apparently, in America, for whatever reason, what and for what are they getting off them? What are they? What are they using them for? I don't know. It was just an interesting t- statistic. That there yeah. was a bit creepy. That's, yeah. <laughs> Why though? Like I can kind of see the logic behind, oh, we could sell these bodies and get loads of money for it. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do it, but I can see the logic behind it. But why would you just dig up a body for there must be a reason? I don't it. know. Yeah. I wonder what it is. Wow. So, yeah, that was a sort of period of resurrection. Now, in amongst all this emerged two characters that most people have probably heard the names of, Burke and Hare. Burke and Hare were not body snatchers. They never did resurrectionism. They never dug up bodies. They had a different method of selling bodies to physicians and medical schools by basically killing people and selling their bodies. It's one way to get a fresh body, isn't it? Yeah. 
less hassle than having to dig them back up again. Yeah. <laughs> Their period of activity was quite limited, really. It was uh, 1827 to 1828. Well, basically 1828. Oh, wow, okay. It was only like a year, really. That they did it, did all their activities in. William Burke and and William Hare, they're both called William, uh, were both born in Ireland, and one way and another, they both ended up in Edinburgh. William Burke was born in 1792 to a respectable family. He was in the army. After he came out of the army, he met and married his first wife, and they lived in Ireland. But it was short lived. There was an argument with his father in law, his wife's father, about land. So he he left. He stormed off and he went over the seas to Scotland, where he became a labourer on the canals that were being dug all over Britain at that time. But in, in his case, uh, he was working in Scotland. He met Helen MacDougall, who then became his second wife. He did odd jobs after finishing working on the canals, including hawking, which is basically getting secondhand clothing and selling it to, to poor people. Okay. He, he became a cobbler for a while. People thought he was generally a, quite a nice guy, um, had a good demeanour. He was a regular churchgoer. And there's one comment to say he was rarely seen without a Bible. Now, Hare also came to Britain, first to England, working on the Grand Union Canal, which is the canal that goes from London to Birmingham, mm-hmm. uh, before he, in turn, moved up to Edinburgh. He lodged in a house in Tanner's Close, which was run by a man called Logue and his wife Margaret. Now Logue died, and William Hare sort of moved in with Margaret, okay. possibly marrying her. We're not entirely sure. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he was not a pleasant man. He was described by one commentator as being illiterate and uncouth, quarrelsome, and violent. Oh. Now, in 1827, Burke and his wife, Helen, and Hare, William Hare, worked during a harvest period on a farm in Midlothian, where they sort of met and became quite good friends. When that period of work finished, they all returned to Edinburgh, and William Burke and Helen moved into a house in Tanners Close as well, in a boarding house. So it seems like there's quite a lot of boarding houses in Tanners Close Mm -hmm. at the time in Edinburgh. Hare was living with Margaret who kind of inherited the boarding house when her husband, Logue, died. So he was then, therefore, now sort of helping to run this boarding house. On November the 29th, 1827, a man called Donald died in Hare's boarding house. Uh, He owed about £4 in back rent, which is the equivalent of around about £400 in today's money. Now, Hare complained to Burke about this loss of income from Donald, so the pair decided to try to sell the body. Okay. So there they were. They got this. And now this is before the Anatomy Act, this, which came in in 1832. Okay. So at this time, it was still not... There was no provision to donate bodies. They were still being right. um, yeah, done sort of on the black sold. market, as it were, sold, yeah. Being got, got by nefarious means and, and, and sold. Yeah. Now, at the time, Edinburgh University was becoming a very well-established centre of medicine. So they didn't think it would be long before they found a buyer. They took it to the university, around the medical schools, asked a few people, and a student directed them in the direction of a physician there called Robert Knox, K-N-O-X. 
and he lived on Surgeon Square in the city. <laughs> of course and he did. <laughs> he agreed to pay £7.10, and ten shillings, which is like £7.50, wow. which uh, would be around about 750-ish pounds of that yeah. order, getting on for, you know, That's, a, that's a chunk of money, isn't it? That's yeah, not... it is. Yeah. yeah. And Knox and his, or one of his students, made it clear that he would be happy to take more if they happened to come across any. Interesting. If you just happen to see any dead bodies, just, you know, pass them my way. Yeah. I mean, this is this insatiable appetite for dead bodies amongst the yeah. anatomical professions, <laughs> the scientists or whatever. It's uh, really what, anyway, let's, uh, I, I don't know. I'm speculating now, but maybe embalming te- techniques weren't that great then. So they did so. go off very quickly. They didn't get much of an opportunity. No, and I guess the refrigeration wasn't really a thing then, was it? Not and so much, no. didn't really exist. And, yeah, I don't know when they started embalming people. No. I out when they started embalming people. Well, I mean, <laughs> people have been embalmed for different reasons for thousands of years, I expect. Yeah, that's as true. A ma- as a matter Mummies. of course, like they do now, it probably wouldn't have happened. Oh, yeah, 7,000 years they've been embalming Yeah, people. yeah. <laughs> but not just your regular... Joe Bloggs no. that, that died in eighteen twenty-seven or whatever wouldn't eighteen uh... nineties. Yeah, okay. It started to um, kind of become more. Really drain the blood and fill it with yeah, thing, pom- yeah. formaldehyde or whatever. It's formaldehyde, isn't it? Yeah. So with this invitation to provide more bodies to Robert Knox, they hatched a plan, and as I alluded to earlier, they decided to find people and kill them. The first murder took place on the 1st of February, 1828. And it was either a man called Joseph, who was a a lodger in one of the boarding houses that either Hare or Bert were living in, or Abigail Simpson. The technique they used then was to smother them with a pillow. But they later turned that technique into something that they sort of perfected, whereby Burke would normally lay across the victim's body to okay. sort of suppress their ability to breathe and to struggle, while Hare would use his hands to hold their nose and mouth shut so that they just suffocated. Oh, wow. In pretty much all That's cases, yeah. In pretty much all cases, it was all it was always suffocation that right. uh, was used to kill their victims, mainly because that did least damage to yeah. the body. In the space of probably not much more than nine months they killed a total of 16 people wow three men 12 women and one child oh my god and in most cases after they'd uh, murdered them which usually happened in Hare's boarding house they Mm -hmm. would bundle the bodies into a tea chest that they then put on like a trolley and wheeled up to the surgeon's house wow now the 15th or the penultimate victim was an 18 year old man called James Wilson. He was well known in the area. Um, he he walked with a limp because he had deformed feet. He was mentally disabled. Basically, he lived on the streets begging, but he was a I... character that everybody knew. One night, Burke and Hare lured him to the boarding house where they offered him whiskey. They got him drunk and he was killed in the normal way. When they got his body to the surgeon's house, a student recognised James Mm -hmm. Wilson because he was such a well-known character. But Knox denied, Robert Knox, the surgeon, denied that it could be anyone that they would know. However, 
he did dissect Wilson ahead of others that he had got in storage. Now, how he was storing them, I don't know. He did have some sort of storage. And uh, the, the first thing that he did was he removed the head and the feet to remove any identifying features. Um, wow. People got a bit suspicious, especially when this event occurred at the same time that he was generally noticed not to be on the streets anymore. Right. <laughs> now, their final victim was a woman called Margaret Doherty, and she was killed, appropriately enough, on the 31st of October, Halloween, dun, dun, dun. 1828. The Greys, Mr. and Mrs. Gray, were two people that lodged in the same house as Burke, rather than Hare. Right. And Burke and Hare managed to persuade the Greys to spend the night in Hare's boarding house. They had Margaret Doherty come back to their to, to Burke's boarding house where they plied her with drink and uh, they told her tales of the fact that they got relatives called Doherty and perhaps they were related and they were going to have a jolly good evening of it. At one point, the Greys came back because they wanted to get some stuff and they observed that William Burke, William Hare and their respective wives, Helen and Margaret, well, were having a jolly party with Margaret Doherty. Now, when the Greys returned the next day, they found Margaret's body in the straw of one of the beds. Oh. Hare had obviously killed her in the same way as they had all the other people. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Gray went off to tell the police, and on the way to the police station, they actually bumped into Margaret Dougal, who was Burke's wife, who tried to bribe them not to say anything, but the oh, Greys okay. refused. So while all that was going on, Burke and Hare removed Margaret Doherty's body from the boarding house and took it to Knox. Now, because there'd been a report of the fact of this dead body, police came and investigated. They found, uh, in this case, I believe there was actually blood evidence uh, okay. and, stuff. and there was some clothing and stuff that was found. And one way or another, they found their way to Knox, where they found Margaret Doherty's body in the dissecting <laughs> room. And Mrs. Gray confirmed that it was the woman that she'd seen in the house the night before with broken hair. Oh, no. So that is kind of how they were caught. Oh, dear. Hare was arrested but denied all knowledge. But then only a couple of days later, on November the 3rd, 1828, a warrant was issued for the detention of Burke and Hare plus their wives. Now, they decided to use a technique whereby they interview one of the culprits individually and then they'll go to the other one and then sort of say, well, your, your friend has sort of already told us all this, mm-hmm. whether they had or not. But, uh, yeah, it was sort of a, quite a common technique, which is still used now. I think, when there's yeah. two people involved. And they chose to interview Hare to start with. And in the process of doing that, he was offered immunity from prosecution if he explained what had been going on. So That's basically, he then stitched up Burke. Oh, no. <laughs> and said, well, yeah, Burke did this and Burke did that. And yes, I did help him move the body, but Burke did it all. Now, the trial began at 10 a.m. on Christmas Eve, 1828. What day to start a trial? And it carried on all that day and all the way through the night to the morning of Christmas Day. Yeah. 
Um, the, the judge decided to try them for three separate murders, and they started with that of Margaret Doherty, the most recent one, and that was the one for which they had most evidence, because yep. in all the other cases, the bodies had long gone, really. They'd all been uh, yeah. dissected. Hare testified that he helped Burke to move Margaret Doherty's body, as I just said. And the, yeah, there was a lot of witnesses, a lot of evidence was uh, discussed in that uh, fairly short period of intense mm. time. If they really did sit all night, that was really quite a yeah a marathon court session. The jury on Christmas actually, Eve as well. On Christmas Eve, and the jury actually went out at eight thirty a.m. on Christmas morning. Wow! And they returned fifty minutes later with a guilty verdict for Margaret Doherty's murder, and that was against Burke. So he Burke was found guilty of her murder. His wife Helen McDougall was found not proven, which is a Scottish. It's not just guilty or not guilty. They have not proven as well okay. in, in Scotland. They still do now. So, as I said, Hare was given immunity. I think he spent a little bit of time in jail uh, for his involvement in transporting Margaret Doherty's body. And the fact they didn't really pursue any of the other crimes of the other 15 yeah. murders that they committed. Or, well, actually, I suppose the first one wasn't really a killing. But, yeah, Hare spent a little while in jail, but then he was released and he fled to England and his trail went cold and no one really knows whatever happened to Hare after that. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Burke, meanwhile, uh, was found guilty of the murder and he was hanged on the 28th of January, 1829, so really quite quickly. Yeah. And guess what? His body was dissected. (laughs) (laughs) And his skeleton was hung in the Anatomical Museum of Edinburgh's Medical School, where it is still on display to this very day. Mm. And there's pictures of that that I can put on on our pages as well. Wow. So what we're digging up bodies and skeletons and uh, selling bodies for dissection. Hopefully Mm. that's uh, creepy enough for this time of year. Pretty macabre. Pretty macabre. <laughs> there was actually um, a silent witness last week, which I was watching while <laughs> we were away. And I don't know what happened to the second part of it. But anyway, um, that was about a body that was being given to science uh, in modern modern time. Um, oh, that's a, interesting. An old man died in an old people's home. And his son said, where are you taking his body? And he said, oh, it's been agreed that he's going to be given to science. And... Uh, and then they see you see them dissecting the body, but in that case, it had been um, preserved, so it was uh, yeah uh, embalmed and soaked in formaldehyde and all the rest of it. Mm. So, but uh, who looked quite realistic in the program? <laughs> yeah, and then they well, discovered about... that he'd been murdered when they got into <gasps> oh, it. No. <laughs> think anyway. about um all those bodies that we saw at the um body works yeah, exhibition the gunter von hagen's um exhibition where they that it put they put plastic into your cells basically don't they to yeah. turn you into plastic rather Plastinization than or something yeah yeah. Um, yeah he came up with this technique where he could replace the water in cells yeah. with like a which is mind-blowing really yeah there was those programs, wasn't there, when he was doing like live autopsies yeah, on the were. telly and people who just donated their bodies and yeah, cut up on the telly. Yeah, um, I mean, again, I suppose those bodies must have been. They were donated, donated to science. Yeah, to yeah. science. And, but 
you know, for as macabre and as creepy and as ghoulish as some of that is, like I said at the beginning, it's probably just as well that these things did yeah. go on to advance our knowledge of medical science, because yeah. without this knowledge, medicine yeah. wouldn't be what it is today, which... And it's funny, really isn't it? Because the vast majority of people are dissected after they die now. Like, so many people go through postmortems, don't they? They do. Which is essentially being dissected. Uh, <laughs> they yeah. kind of take you to pieces and put you back together again, don't they? There's a, yeah, there's quite a high incidence of postmortem, like reasons for postmortem. There's quite a lot of things that would trigger it, I think. So, okay. It's, um, yeah. It's a, it's a really common thing now, isn't it? It's it not is, a, yeah. But and I guess it's usually looking sold for. Um, <laughs> well, no, they're not being. And that's usually yeah. to establish a cause of death, isn't it? It's not. They wouldn't start taking your toes to bits to see how they fitted together with all the ligaments and muscles and stuff which is I suppose <laughs> what they were doing it, it, yeah yeah because they had to find out how everything in a body work and when we yeah. did go to see that body work stuff it was it was fascinating absolutely fascinating. sheer amount of your body which is dedicated to just pumping fluids of one sort or another yeah. around not just blood there's all sorts of stuff that's got yeah systems there's like your whole lymphatic body. system, yeah. which is a whole load of other fluid that moves around and yeah. water moving around. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. As well as your digestive system. And yeah, it's, it's really quite fascinating. And that's on top of your skeleton and muscles and yeah. nerves. <laughs> it's, the human body is just absolutely mind blown, isn't it? Like how it's just all in the right place to do the right things yeah. and that it just functions. Yeah. It's mind blown. Well, but they still can't cure a common cold. No. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That's the story of Resurrectionists and Birkenhair. I will uh, put various pictures up on our social pages. I'll put some on Instagram where you can find them. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. I'll put them on Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. If you'd like to talk to us about any of this story or any other stories we've talked about over the last few months, you can always email us at dadanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. Our podcasts are available on all major platforms. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please give us a rating, leave us some stars, comments. It'd be really good to hear from you. Yes. Thank you very much for listening and continuing to listen. So join us next time when once again, Dad and daughter do death.